0: What time is it? All right. If you didn't know who wrote that, James wrote that. The guy we haven't studied. Not really, but the uh, first time I heard that song actually was on Secular Talk Radio. There was a person interviewing the author of this song and let him play it on uh, his show. And I think it's a very powerful, powerful song, especially in light of what we're talking about this morning. We're in James, and we've been studying James, and we're at verses 22 through 25. You've heard those read prior to that song. And before we get into his word, let's begin with prayer. Father God, we appreciate we can come to you and worship you. And so we humbly bow our knee and ask that your spirit just help interpret what you would have to say to us this morning from your word. We know it's alive, it's powerful. We know that your word spoke into creation everything that we see today. So may you speak it into us. We do think of those out in Pittsburgh this morning in the tragic events that took place yesterday. We pray that you be with them. It's really an illustration of why we need you because hate left. Unchecked, turns into senseless violence. And so often, our anger that James talked about just leads us to do those kinds of things. Sometimes with our words, sometimes with our hands, sometimes with instruments of death. We pray too for all of us, Lord. Here as we navigate our weeks, we pray for those that lost loved ones this past week. We pray for others that are going to surgery who've had surgery and are recovering. We pray for, Lord, those that are just trying to navigate the trials of their life and trying to choose joy in the midst of all that, and what does it really mean? So again, Lord, be here. Uh, we know you're here. Give us enough sense to listen. And maybe we have ears that are sensitive to hear what your spirit and your word says to us. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, Amen. I came across, across a question this past week. I'm going to post it on the screen. It was in my devotions. And the question was, if God had his way, what would the local church look like? Now, that's kind of a generic general question. And we could give opinions about it all day. But there was a sub-question in that devotional. And it speaks a little bit more to the core of what James is talking about. The question is, is the American church still a community of radical, spirit-filled believers who serve as a kingdom counterculture, or has the church become mere observers and consumers? Now think about that because that is a convicting question. It's convicting for our personal lives because so often we know we are called to do something. We're called to, as the choir sang, follow where he leads us. But how many times do we compromise that? Somebody gave me a book that I'm reading right now. It's called The Cross and the Shadow of the Crescent. And in that, he talks about the compromise of the church. Of course, he's dealing with the church in Muslim saturated countries. But here's what he says weakens the church first is the moral compromise, the moral compromise. Where we start saying, okay, yeah, we know what God said, but this past week, I read an article where it says faith leaders to bless an abortion clinic. And in the article, it says accessing and providing abortions are godly decisions, and the notice in which they got their permit said this, holy ground, blessing the sacred space of decision. Second thing the book talked about is the compromise of consumerism, where it's all about my comforts, my needs, my wants, my desires. And, of course, James talked about how temptation, when it runs according to our desires, it turns to sin, and sin leads to death. It also talked about the compromise of a weakened gospel. And this is what I call we're after decisions, not disciples. It's where we want to get people to accept Christ as the Lord and Savior, and boom, they're in. That's it. Nothing. But Scripture never says that we are to help people make a decision. It says, go and make what? Disciples. And disciples is about an entire lifestyle. It's where we start. We continue to grow each and every day. And we put off and we put on and we grow together in his grace and his love. Then it talks about the compromise of institutional Christianity. And institutional Christianity is where we're dependent on our stuff. And in America, we love our celebrities. And we listen to them on podcasts and we buy their books. And it was interesting because I, I heard this conversation then on the radio where they were talking about a Christian in China. And here's what this Christian said. They said, you in America are dependent upon your fame and popularity. Everybody wants to go to the popular church. In China, the person who makes the most impact is the one who's hidden, who nobody sees, who doesn't write books, who doesn't hold conferences. Now, what's fascinating to me is that, according to statistics, they say the church in China is one of the largest churches in the world. I know in our arrogance, we think we have the largest churches, but we do not. So James is about having a strategic map for growth. And in that, he says, listen, you're going to have trials. And if we're not careful, those trials will turn into temptation. And if we're not careful, those temptations will turn into sin. And when we allow sin to be planted in our lives, it will lead to death. And in the midst of all this, he says, listen, you have an option. Choose joy. But of course, how do we choose joy? I mean, what are the specifics? What's the plan? How do we get through the trials and through the temptations? And he began by saying this. Allow God's word to be implanted into our lives. Last week, he used that farming term saying, listen, Make sure your heart has the right soil, so when I plant a seed, it'll grow. And that's where he said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, because anger does not lead to the right things of God. So last week, he compared God's word to a seed. This week, he compares God's word to a mirror. The next step of our growth is not do we only need to listen to the truth. We have to practice that truth. And again, please remember, one of the things we looked at two weeks ago was that all this goes on so Christ can grow you and heal you. He wants the best. He wants the greatest. He wants to heal what needs to be healed. It's when we allow our own desires to negate that and we start saying, well, God, you can have this, but not this. Let's go to the text then that was read for us already this morning. Let's start in verse 22 of James chapter 1. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, let's just stop right there for a moment. And what James is saying is there's too many Christians that mark their Bibles, but their Bibles do not mark their lives. I've been told that it's better to do more with less than less with more. Now, let me explain what I mean. There's a lot of people that run to Bible study to Bible study, this devotion, that devotion, listen to podcasts, go to church, sermons, go to conferences, all this information, and they change very little. James says, Listen, I'd rather you take one truth of God's word, apply it to your life, than listen to all these truths and do nothing. There's a story of a church that had been searched for a Bible preaching pastor, and a rather thorough process. They found one on his first Sunday. The search committee was very pleased. They said the pastor had a home run. Second Sunday, pastor preaches the same sermon. And the search committee was a bit disturbed, but they gave the new pastor the benefit of the doubt. And they said, you know, it really was a good sermon. Didn't hurt us to hear it twice. Third Sunday, he preaches the same sermon. Concern moved to confrontation. They said, Pastor, we're a little concerned that you only have one sermon in your repertoire. Are you doing this thing over and over again? Is this the only one you have? And he said, well, was the sermon biblical? They go, yes. He says, well, he says, I'm waiting for you to do something in your life about this one before I move on. <laughs> Ouch, right? Right. <laughs> better to take one truth, do something about it, than take a whole lot of truth doing nothing about it, okay? Now James says if this is you, if you're taking the truth and not doing anything about it, he says you're deceiving yourself, you're tricking yourself, you lie to yourself, and what's tragic is that you actually believe the lie. Now let's move on. Verse 23. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. Now again, before, the word of God was a seed. Implants it, let it grow. Here it's a mirror. Now, what's the purpose of a mirror? The first purpose is it's an examination, right? You want to take a look at yourself. You want to examine what you see. And it's interesting that James, and I think James has a sense of humor here, when he talks about a man, he's not talking about the generic word for mankind. He's actually using the word for male. He says, you know, what do men do with mirrors? They look, they do nothing, they walk away and forget what they just saw. Can I get an amen? Now, contrast that with a woman. Women are not about to go in front of a mirror and do nothing. They look and they fix this and they fix that. Maybe put a little paint here. Do something with the hair. And they do it more than once. Now, if you don't believe me, some are in doubt, I think, ladies that have purses here today. How many of you carry in there some sort of compact mirror that you can check up every once in a while? I see some hands, yes. Men, how many, have, how many of you have a mirror in your wallet? Raise your hand. This one, oh, she's raising a hand for him. Okay, no. What's James' point? He says, if you want to be a hearer and a doer... You got to take the time in the mirror of God's word. Don't be like a man that walks in, glances, walks away, and doesn't really care what he sees. (laughs) He says, examine yourself, not other people. Examine yourself in the light of how God sees you. See, it's God's mirror. Here's how it works. When you think about mirrors, some don't stand long enough and look long enough in the mirror of God's word to see their sin, do they? They see things that they should see, but they don't see. Now, that's the one side of the mirror. Some don't stand in front of the mirror long enough and look long enough to see that they're loved and forgiven and valued. And so they just walk through life feeling worthless. They end up hanging out with people who help make them feel this way. So James is saying, listen, the only way you're going to be a and doer is to look in the mirror of God's word, to stare there, and to do something about what you see. Again, the mirror is so you get things right. And when you stand in front of not the mirror of God's word, but the mirror of our culture or anything else, think about it. We live in a culture of fear and outrage. You will become what you see. And it's why today there's so many Christians, their hope is in their political party instead of Jesus. There's too many Christians just glancing a look at God's word. And if you're a hearer and not a doer, it doesn't matter how many Bible studies and sermons and conferences you go to. Nothing will change. Let's read on. Verse 25. But the one who looks, and the word look here literally means to bend down. Okay. To stare, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed. And again, he's their generic, okay? It's talking about all mankind. He or she will be blessed in their doing. Now, the word persevere, to stay near, to abide, to hang in there. And it says if you fix your attention on God's word, if you hang in there, you're going to be blessed in his doing. But what does this mean? The second second purpose of the mirror is for restoration. Just not say, wow, it's really messed up. I got to do something about this. The key is to look intently. To focus, to stoop down. It literally means to stoop down on your knees and get a really close look. When Bev and I lived in Canada, we lived in a church parsonage, and one of the things they did not tell us is that the ground was infested with snakes. I would kill around two, about 350 to 400 a year, if you want to know how many. Now, my oldest daughter was a little over two when we first moved there, and she was fascinated with these snakes. In fact, she would go out in the front yard and she would stoop down, get real close, and that snake would raise its head up and she'd sit there and look at it, and that snake would look at her. I remember one time she came in running and says, Daddy, Daddy. She's all excited. She goes, The snakes are having a party in the front yard. I said, Time to crash the party. I think at that time I killed around 80 at that one time. So she was right. Now, at this place, we lived about 30 minutes from Niagara Falls. And people would come to see us and stay with us because they wanted to go visit the falls and visit us. And people who visit the falls, we call tourists. Now, James says there's too many Christian tourists. See, they want to take the tour. But Jesus doesn't need any tourists, he says. (laughs) And according to James, he says people who look intently into the mirror of his word will be about restoration and just not taking a look, just not visiting. Why? Well, he tells us. Look at the verse again. Look at James 125 again. Why? The law of liberty. What is that? That's what we call freedom. Freedom. See, his law, his direction, his word, we follow because it gives us freedom. Jesus said it this way, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. See, freedom is about restoration. And what we have to realize is that you are God's handiwork. You need to let him finish the project. Amen? Too many Christians do not let God finish the renovation project. They make a decision. They don't want to become a disciple. Jesus tells a story in John 4 where he is restoring a Samaritan woman who had a devastating reputation. And when she went back and she was restored, her restoration was so evident the town came out to see who this Jesus was. Just after that, we see him traveling to Jerusalem. He comes upon what's called the Pool Bethesda. Now, tradition had it an angel would come down and stir the water, and the first one in the water was healed. And so Jesus approaches one of the invalids there who's been there for 38 years. Imagine waiting to be healed for 38 years. It's a long time. So what does Jesus say? He looks at the man and says, do you want to be healed? Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a rather insensitive question, isn't it? (laughs) It's kind of like, obviously, I've been here 38 years. What do you think I'm doing here all this time? But here's the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, goes up to this man and says, do you want to be healed? What does he say? The dude doesn't answer yes. He gives an excuse. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool. And there's always someone else who gets in ahead of me. People, the question this morning, according to James, is, do you want to be healed? Yes or no? And if you do, you got to look into the mirror of his word. You got to look intently on it and you got to practice. You got to do what it says, because that is where restoration and healing come from. That is where freedom comes from. So he's asking all of us the same question. So many of us are like the man laying on the mat that don't want to give up a victim status. They don't want to give up their excuses. But the question is, do you want to walk in wholeness and freedom? So James says, listening is important. But he says, if you don't practice, your desires will enslave you. And the trial and the temptation will run over you. And James says, the word of God will set you free because Jesus is the living word of God. His spirit penned the written word of God. So you must hear and do what it says. And that brings me to the third purpose of a mirror. The first is examination. The second is restoration. The third purpose is transformation. You do not spend all the time in front of a mirror to walk away with nothing transformed. Is that right, ladies? <laughs> I hear right. Right. The reason you look in the mirror is because you don't like what you see. And Christians like the idea of restoration. And they want to make a decision. But so often they say, leave me alone. Here's what we don't understand. The very things that we think will free us will enslave us. And while discipleship is hard work, sin is more difficult. Because sin enslaves you. And you're subject to your addictions. Doesn't matter which one. All sin is addictive. Everyone has a drug of choice. They're just different. But all result in slavery and death. Now, for those that have gone to college or are going to college, maybe you're in it right now, there's two ways you can take a course. You can take it for credit or you can audit that class. Now, when you audit You don't have to do the work. You don't even have to go to the class. Now, when you audit it, you don't get the credit either. Now, I say all this because James says you can't audit Jesus. Auditing will not get you to the graduation. It's not going to show up in your transcripts. But when you decide to hear and do when you look in the mirror and he talks about your sin, but he also talks about how you are loved, a son and daughter of God. When you are set free by his son, it says that you will be a blessing. Now understand if you choose not to be a blessing, if you choose your desires and sin and the trials and temptation, it says you're going to be a curse. Live in sin, live a cursed life. Live in God's grace, live a blessed life. Live in sin, you will curse yourselves and you will curse other people. Live in God's grace, you will bless yourself and you will bless other people. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes these words. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, are being transformed into the same image From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you understand the power of what Paul is saying here? Life doesn't have to be enslavement to sin. You can be set free. But making a decision for Christ is one step, but you need to be transformed by Christ. Now, the big theological fancy word for this is sanctification. It's when God teaches us a truth, we allow His Spirit and we live by that truth to enter into our lives. People ask me, well, why is it a process? Why don't we just kind of get it all at once? After walking in the Christian faith for several decades, Here's what I understand. Two things. Number one, things I never thought were sin, I now realize are sin. Okay? So when Paul says I'm cheap among sinners, I understand what he means. Because as my life grows, there are things God says, okay, let's start working on this. And before, I just never crossed my mind. The second is, think about it. If God dumped the whole load on you right at your... Decision of salvation. All of us would be smothered to death by everything that we have to do. Amen? Amen. So he just kind of says, okay, you take this step, good. That's part of the restoration process. Now let's work on this wall. Okay, let's paint this room. Let's carpet this room. But see, the key is, if you never do what you hear, nothing ever changes. I think you need courage to seek the truth this morning. We have to put down the microscope and pick up the mirror. You know what the difference is? We like to micromanage other people's lives. Just stop that. Pick up the mirror. Pick up the mirror of God's word. Put down all the negative assumptions and realize that we are loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he asked every single one of us here this morning, do you want to be healed? I think it takes greater courage to accept the truth. Once we arrive at that truth and we see that truth, we see this in our lives, we see the salvation in our lives, both present and future, to live out the salvation is so freeing. But it takes great courage just to embrace that and allow it to be implanted into our lives. I think James tells us, while we need the courage to seek the truth, we need greater courage to accept the truth. We need even greater courage to align our lives with that truth. I heard something very profound at a conference I was at a few weeks ago, and here's what they said. They said, you know, you can't please everyone. If you think you can, you probably better check what you're smoking because you can't do it. That's what they said. I'm just quoting the guy, okay? But then he said this, but you can please God. Now, think about how profound that is. You can't please everyone, but you can please God. And think about how we are enslaved to other people's opinions, or we live free with the truth about who God says we are. And here's what I concluded. You know, God is the only one who does not have unreal expectations unrealistic expectations of you. Think about that. God is the only person that doesn't have unrealistic expectations. Now realize that where God's going to take you is far beyond anything anybody else thought you could go. Most people's expectations hold you down and hold you back. But think about the truth. Hold up the mirror. The mirror says, you can please God. I mean, that's just fascinating to me. So James tells us it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. I want to ask a few questions in closing. I'm going to invite the band to come up because we're going to sing a song in closing. First question is, if you hear this morning, and I know I talked about decision and discipleship, and if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're saying, you know what? I need to do that. I need to start somewhere. I need to look in the mirror and say, that's a possibility for me. And what you need to understand is there is nothing that you've done up to this point in your life that God cannot overcome by his grace. That's how powerful his word is. But if you're here this morning and you want to decide to make that decision for Christ, I just want you to stand up because we're going to have someone sit down with you and talk about this and make sure this is right. So if you're here this morning, just kind of stand up, wave, wave, And we're going to settle this this morning. Anybody? Okay, the second question is for everybody else. (laughs) You thought you were going to get out of here, didn't you? (laughs) What have you been hearing God say? And you know he said it. And you know it's true. But you haven't been practicing it. And that goes two ways. That goes one way with what we call sin. It goes the other way with we're just not going to believe that God loves us. We're not going to believe that we are valued sons and daughters of God. But I want you to focus in upon that one thing. And then I want you to have the courage this week to align your life, to stare long enough in the mirror, to so look up a series of verses. You know Our computers are great because you can type a word in and it'll just put that word all throughout God's word. I mean, it might be that you're afraid this morning. Great study is fear not. You might not feel that you're loved. Type in the word loved and see what God says about everything. You might think that this particular sin you're wrestling with isn't a big deal. Well, type it in and see what happens. And you'll find out what kind of deal it is. So, do you want to be healed? That's really what James is talking about. We got to be hearers and doers. Pray with me. Father God, for all of us here this morning, may we be a church that stares intently into your the mirror of your word who looks and allows you to have a restoration project so that when you're finished Each and every day we're being transformed into your likeness. May we see ourselves as the beautiful bride that you called us to be. I know there's a lot here this morning that don't feel that way. I pray that your spirit blesses them and sees that. Brothers, Lord, that just struggle with a particular sin... May your spirit empower them and bold them just to say, no longer. I'm going to have people come around me and I'm going to make this right. For others, Lord, that just have forgotten because they've been away from the mirror too long. May you renew what they know to be true in their hearts. That they are loved by you in incredible ways. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your spirit that guides us in your word. May we see the power of what it is here at this place because we are called the bride of Christ. May GBC be a place that we just everywhere hold up your mirror and watch the restoration and transformation happen in ways that we cannot explain or we cannot achieve on our own level. Thank you, Jesus, for this. I thank you for everyone here this morning. I thank you for what you want to do in their lives. I just pray we all have enough sense to hear what the Spirit says to this church, to this body. These things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said...